call is now being recorded. Oh, that sounds promising. I know, right? This call is now going to track down you and find you and do terrible things to you. <laughs> uh, hey, Alexa, how's it going? <laughs> oh, you know, just starting trouble on Google, no big deal. Hi, I'm Emily. And I'm Jennifer. And welcome to All Things Terror. Jennifer, since the last time we talked, have you eaten your puppy? I have not eaten my puppy. Um, he is actually much bigger now. He's still mm-hmm. a monster. Um, but he's a monster that can sit, stay, and even roll over. So these are good things. That's impressive. Um, can he come when he's called? Um, his recall is so-so. It still requires a lot of bribery with treats, but, you know, he's also only, like, four months old, so not yeah. really surprised. Well, he's like a child. Everything is so exciting for him that he doesn't know what to focus on. Well, uh, what about your little furry monster? How long did it take him to do recall? Um, he... He did pretty good with recall. He's, how shall I put this delicately? He's quite needy, and he loves attention. So, like, you you just look at him, and he runs over to you. So, recall is, like, he just constantly wants to be, like, touching you and getting pets. So, he he got that pretty easily. Um, But, like, day, that was really hard because he is very wiggly and it took him probably a year before he could do that. Cause like I said, he just, he, it's really important to him that he can touch you at all times. So he's codependent. Yeah, probably. And I am like borderline commitment phobe. So, you know, we really learned a lot about each other, um, through the course of being dog and dog mom. <laughs> Uh, My mom doesn't love me enough. I love you too much. Right. Yeah, I probably, exactly. That actually sounds exactly like a conversation that we would have. Um, I do often tell him that he's the most spoiled dog on earth. um, And then I say, I'm going to cook him and eat him. So, you know. And yet he's still alive. Yeah. I mean, almost two years and it hasn't happened. So. Maybe I need to come up with a new threat so he takes me seriously. What everyone needs to understand who is listening is that we both love our animal families, but, you know, sometimes they're a source of frustration and we threaten to eat our animals a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we just blow off steam. But, uh, yeah, I would agree that our dogs and cats are probably – of all dogs and cats, they're at the top of the list. Aside from parenting skills, Jennifer, do you have a story to tell me? I do, and I am so excited to talk to you about this. Oh, I'm both excited and scared. So, this story has mystery. This story has intrigue. This story has family secrets. And this story has the worst day at work ever. Oh, no. Did somebody get their period in white pants? I don't well, – does that really count as the worst day at work ever? That's like in all those teen movies. They're like, I had the worst day ever at school. I was wearing white pants and got my period. Dun, dun, dun. 
Puri jokes yeah. are funny in the 90s. Yeah. Did you ever get your period in school and it would show through your pants? Oh, my gosh. Like, more than I – more times than I can even count on my hands. And it was great because I was taller baller about it. Like, I would stand <laughs> up and be like, I need to go to the bathroom. No big deal. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> oh, my God. God damn, that is amazing. I did have that happen once, and my friend, it was like a spring day where nobody was wearing coats anymore. And because, you know, you, you just tie a sweater around your waist, right? And the only coat that I had was like this crazy winter coat, like a windbreaker that my friend let me borrow. And I just remember being like, this doesn't make any sense. Everybody knows what's happening right now. <laughs> Yeah, and I I had this moment of, like, this doesn't make sense. Nobody will think I just want to wear this winter coat around my waist. I also think I was wearing, like, pajama pants because I was a terrible teenager. I don't know what I was thinking. And I did have that moment of, like, I should just walk around with this horrible spot, but I did not. And also, in hindsight, teenagers are dumb, and so... Even though I thought everyone was looking at me, nobody was. Nobody cared that I had this weird giant coat around my waist. Um, yeah, and if, if you were any high enough, schoolers are listening, nobody cares. Second pro tip: if you wear dark enough pants, no one is going to notice. Yeah, exactly. Um, same with underwear. Guys think black underwear is sexy. All women know that's just it's the blood underwear. Yep, that is exactly what it is. Please tell me your story, but first, dibs on the band name Blood Underwear. <laughs> that is that is a perfect like a like a dark metal band kind of name. Actually, soft, weepy folk rock. Or that that's good too. March thirty first, nineteen twenty two, is where our story really begins. The six mm-hmm. inhabitants of the Hinter Kaifek uh, property. Oh shit. Oh, shit. This is so amazing. I love this story. It is so good. It is so good. I love this. Like, if you if you really want to talk about, like, what captures my interest in the macabre, this is, this is the one. This is the one. Yeah, this is one of those ones that, like, every podcast that does one of this, I've heard it. Amazing. Okay, I'm just going to sit back, sip an adult beverage, and be so overjoyed. This is amazing and super creepy. A few days before... March 31st, 1922, when the inhabitants of the Hinterkaifeck homestead would go through something very interesting. Andreas Gruber found some footprints in the snow leading to his farm, but there weren't any footsteps leading away from the farm. Also, a few days before March 31st, 1922, Andreas Gruber found an unfamiliar newspaper on the farm. A set of house keys had went missing. Uh, The tool shed looked like somebody tried to pick the lock, and some of the family members had reported hearing footsteps in the attic. And of course, like a responsible, mature adult man, Andreas Gruber told his neighbors about this experience, but not the police. I like that you emphasize not an adult human, but an adult man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) well... Listen, no offense to people out there, but traditional paradigms of masculinity and femininity, absolutely. The woman is like, yo, police, come check out these footsteps. And the dude is like, newspaper, footsteps, attic sounds, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's like, can we stop and get directions? No, even though I literally have an idea where I am in this foreign country. But let me tell our neighbors about this. I'm going to call them up real quick. It's a crazy story. (laughs) It's exactly like this. Ugh, neighbors. 
We have this weird <laughs> stuff happening at the farm, but weird stuff always happens at farms. Women, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I clearly have had just the right amount to drink before this. <laughs> True story. Now that we established that Andreas made, like, a bad decision, let's talk about who actually lives in the house. These are all mm-hmm. the names you need to know. Andreas Gruber. He is father of the homestead. Kazilia Gruber, his wife. Victoria Gabriel, Andreas's and Casilia's daughter, Casilia, Victoria's daughter, because that's not confusing, and Joseph, <laughs> also Victoria's daughter, or son, not daughter, my bad, and then Maria Baumgartner, who is the maid. Ah, poor maid. Six months earlier, so this is six months before March 31st, 1922, the previous maid of the household left because she thought the farm was haunted. What? I did not know that. Seriously? Yes. Yes. And this is, so this is how I found out about Hunter Kaifak was not all those other type of shows that I watch. And I'm trying not to say the word because I want to have a little intrigue here. <laughs> but because of, I was watching some sort of like one of those really cheesy, like paranormal haunting uh, shows and Hinter Kaifek came about and it talked about the previous maiden. It's like, you have to be fucking with me. This is amazing. How have I not heard this story before in my entire life? It seems like a bad idea to take a job when the previous person quit because they thought it was haunted. But I would 100% do that. Like, I would be like, oh, haunted college, I'm there. (laughs) Right, right. So this is funny because Emily actually came to Austin. And (laughs) for one of Emily's Austin trips, we definitely went to do a haunted Austin tour. And it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. They drive you around in this hearse. In a hearse, A+. They take you to all these places that are supposedly haunted. And by the way, you can drink in the back of a hearse. Yeah, you and me and the people with us were drinking. And then there were, like, two other couples who were, like, not having a lot of fun. And we were, like, getting saucy, asking questions about the ghost. I mean. Talking about Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the tour guide actually, I think, out creeped us. And he was, like, this is the spot where somebody died, like, last year. And we were all, like oh my god and he's like yeah I saw the blood and was like telling us this really intense story and I think that was when we were like "Uh, too real too much I don't want a dead body I just want a ghost (laughs) right it was where that parking garage was and somebody had Mm -hmm. jumped up the parking garage to commit suicide and it was really fucking sad and I'm like look I just wanted to get drunk and talk about things that don't exist you just made this like way too real (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what it was also maybe a good point to point out jennifer and i don't live in the same city no we don't we once upon a time ago did and then emily broke up with me and left me in austin all by myself yeah i mean i'm trying to get you to come to colorado but i want to go to colorado come to austin okay listeners vote does emily (laughs) come to austin or does jennifer go to colorado the world will decide our fate one of us and our partners will have to uproot their lives that's a binding legal decision you should just let me be your sugar mom I'm going to move here. I mean, I'm not opposed. You can you can have any 99-cent sticker sheet you could ever want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, 
going to say my cat just, like, gave me a really upset glare and then meowed at me, and I wanted to be like, what? But that doesn't matter. Tell me more about Hinter Kaifek. Okay, Hinter Kaifek. So, so of course, this made left because she thought the farm was haunted, mm-hmm. and Maria was hired in her place. Now, this is what is interesting. Six months ago, the maid left. March 31st, 1922, Maria Baumgartner was hired as the maid. March 31st, 1922, and this is where we really get to the good part of this. Get to All the good. inhabitants were killed with a mattock. Mm. And this is, uh, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine that job interview? Well, your basic job duties care for the children, help around the house, get a little bit murdered, no big deal. Yeah, ignore the ghost. I know it sounds like a dude reading a newspaper and walking around up in the attic, but my husband says not to worry about it. She already told the neighbors about it, so it's been taken care of. Trust me, properly handled, A+, plus, no big deal. <laughs> so anyway, start on Monday? <laughs> yes, exactly. And, of course, like, can you imagine, like, your first day on the job, several hours after you start your first day on the job, you're murdered. That's it. Your life is over. Right. Uh, I don't think you've mentioned how they get murdered, but you're going to. And so the first whatever of this weapon, you're just like, come on. Are you kidding me? So they're... They're killed with a mattock, and this mattock comes from the tool shed in which Andreas Gruber, a few days before the murders took place, mentioned to the neighbors that it looked like someone tried to pick the lock. Wait, they're murdered with a what? A mattock. A mattock? I was, I thought it was an axe. Am I making this up? It's basically an axe. Oh, okay. I it, just don't even know what this special kind of axe is. So everyone who is starting to shudder and start to get like that, I'm annoyed by this, like, tweak with, over the word mattock, just replace it with axe. It's basically an axe. So... There were bodies, oh, God, there were bodies stacked in the barn, and they were covered oh. with hay. Oh. So those oh. were the bodies of Andreas Gruber, Kazia Gruber, the wife, Victoria Gabriel, and Kazia, the very young daughter of Victoria. Yeah, she was Marina, like a toddler, right? Yeah, she was, I mean, basically fresh and new to the world. So Maria and Joseph were found in the house covered of course, bludgeoned to death with a mattock. Joseph is a baby, by the way. If you guys don't have a concept of how fucked up this is, the little baby, the little baby girl, it's a toddler, and Joseph, Ooh. well, no, she's not quite a toddler. She's like in an elementary school age. And Joseph, the oh. actual baby, bludgeoned to death Ooh. in their own home. So that's how fucked up we're talking about. This is some fucked up shit. In case I didn't say fucked up enough, it's fucking fucked up. Hashtag. So, in case I didn't say you're fucked up enough, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> we got our hashtag. <laughs> so, it's very spooky. So, if it's not already creepy enough to think about the fact that six people were murdered with a Maddox and it's the entire inha- group of inhabitants of this farm, and that there were footprints in the snow, that there was, like, a weird newspaper, that the house key- keys went missing, that they heard footsteps in the attic. If all of that wasn't weird enough, on top of the haunted story, let me introduce you to another facet of this. Ooh. The killer remained on the farm for several days after these people were fucking murdered. Ooh. Like, that just gives me so much shivers. Because he basically... He, like, lived in the house with, like, the dead bodies, right? Right. So, and I could be misquoting this, and all those fact checkers out there, you can 
do it if you want, but basically, like, I think March 31st, 1922 was like a Thursday or a Friday. It was some, some day towards the end of the week. Family murdered. The killer stayed there and took care of the dog. Oh. Um, fed the cattle on the farm. In general, tended the farm area. So, like, cows didn't die, dog didn't die, whatever they were growing didn't die. Ugh. There was evidence that meals were being made in the kitchen after the family was murdered. And they know this because the neighbors uh, had accounted for the fact that they saw smoke rising from the chimney. Right. Someone is in, in the hearth making fucking food. That's just so weird. Like, are they so detached that they don't care? Or are they, like, crazy and having a psychotic break and they don't realize what's going on? Or, like, it's just chilling in a really upsetting way. And now I to say that in the future you're murdered and you're being murdered by someone wielding an axe or a Maddox, just know that that person <laughs> might remain in your house for some time. So if you become a ghost and ghosts are real, haunt the shit out of that motherfucker. Like, yeah, it, if he's in there, if he's taking a dump in your toilet, go in there and fuck with that toilet and be like, oh shit, now it's overflowing, motherfucker, what you gonna do? You killed me. Right. I feel like that's a very good plan. I think the, the plan A is don't get murdered. Plan B is immediately become a ghost and haunt the murderer. Yes. That is always my plan if I get murdered. I mean, <laughs> ghosts aren't real, but I'm going to find a way to make it real. All I have to do is visualize it. Isn't that like what all the self-help books, you just have to like visualize it for yourself. Right. What is Whatever. The, you have to manifest. Yes, manifest. That is the correct word. I'm obviously two ciders and a whiskey in. You are welcome, America. Uh, Listen, we are pro-science here, um, and so I see no science for such manifest so we can make fun of it all you want. That's right. Anyway. It's <laughs> <laughs> getting lit up in here. All right. So oh my God. please edit that. That is so light. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so funny. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> calming myself down. So, a couple other interesting tidbits before I press forward. Now we know the killer remains. He was, like, making sandwiches, taking care of the cows, playing house, probably wore an apron when he was making the sandwiches. I'm saying he because that is the general pronoun. I'm not accusing it of being male. But in general, this dude hung around, and there were the two bodies in the house of a dead maid and a dead fucking baby. Ugh. While the rest of the bodies were rotting beside the house in the fucking barn. Yeah. So yeah. no money went missing. It wasn't like the property was really disturbed. Like shit was still being taken care of. Just everyone was fucking dead. Yeah. Only reason. Hashtag everyone was fucking dead. Um, no, uh, you said everyone was being dead, which is an even funnier hashtag. <laughs> Everybody was being dead as hell. So the reason why the family got discovered was, so, you know, Thursday or Friday-ish weekend happened. Family didn't show up to church on Sunday, which was like, uh, that's a little weird for that family because, you know, every they always went to church. Yeah, it's 1922. There's no TV. Yeah, and there's always church. There's always church in 1922. The family didn't show up for church, and then Kazia didn't show up for school on Monday. So I think it was roughly around Tuesday that one of the neighbors finally went out to see what was going on, and they discovered, like, it was one neighbor and a group of people living around them discovered the gruesome crime scene. And 
the horror story doesn't end here because the family and the maid ended up being buried headless because the heads were lost during the autopsy. The coroners took them in. They did their autopsy. It's 1922. Heads were lost. Everyone was buried without a head. Oh, 100% success rate if you want to make a ghost. <laughs> right, exactly. Like that is the, If you ever want to know how to become a ghost, Make sure your head gets lost. The legend of Sleepy Hollow, right? Headless Horseman. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and they had to give him his head. Well, in the movie, it's like give him his head back, and then he stops being a ghost or whatever. So, basically, poor Maria is having, like, the shittiest fucking experience like she could ever have. She's like, got a new job, got a little (laughs) murdered, got a little headless, buried. And, by the way, for any of you who are not familiar with this, this case, remains unsolved. But I'm going to share just two or three little tidbits more of information. So motive. Who on earth would want to murder a little family on this tiny farm that goes to church and sends their kids to school? Who would want to do that? Well, Andreas Gruber does not have a great reputation with the townsfolk. In fact, he is reported, had reported to be extremely violent and abusive towards his family. Um, he was also su- suspected to be a bit of a pedophile, and they believe that Joseph was actually conceived, um, Victoria actually conceived him after being molested by her father. The neighbor who found the family dead was rumored to have tried to marry Victoria, but Andreas refused to let her marry him or anyone else. So here we go, family secrets. And actually, um, it was believed that Andreas and Kazia had conceived many children, but Victoria was the only one to have survived Andreas's abuse. Read into that what you will. Or what you will. Well, don't I mean, care. it's 1922. People are just going to fucking die all the time. Like, and then if, if you're beating them or you're on a farm and you're not, like, this is after World War One, so it's not like things are great, you know? So it would kind of make sense that everybody would die. I mean, children. Children died a lot back then. Yes, but I'm just saying these are all rumors or yeah. things that the towns people say, the people that lived in the same area with this family. So there was, and I forget which university, but basically there's a group of students at a university studying forensics who reopened, quote unquote, reopened this case because this case had been reopened dozens and dozens of times mm-hmm. and have come to a conclusion about who the murderer actually was, but refused to share it out of respect for the surviving family members. And surviving family members didn't indicate whether we meant the murderers surviving family members or the people who was murdered their surviving family members, which is important to note because something else that people brought up about Andreas Gruber is that he was in the middle of quite a few family disputes about money and estate and things that families argue about. I'm sorry, but that sounds like bullshit. Oh, we solved it, but we're not going to tell you. Whatever. I mean, I feel like it has to be pretty fucking scandalous, though, if, like, they won't like, if there's a surviving family member, I feel like it has to be the murderer's surviving family member. But I'm just speculating. Yeah, I would speculate that, too. Like, but even still, you know what? Pause. Let's just remember this discussion when we get to my story, because maybe family members come into my story. Just saying. Are we doing that thing where we're talking about some very weirdly connected stuff again? Yeah, we are. That's awesome. I know. So- <laughs> 
I swear to God, we don't plan this shit, and yet it happens. So that is my story, or at least what I will share of Hunter Kaifak. Emily, I think you have a story to share. I do. I also just want to say one other thing that super creeps me out about Hunter Kaifak, and I don't know why I know this, so maybe it's not true, but I have read that the bodies in the barn, somehow the 1922 forensics, they could determine that they were killed one at a time. So they thought that there was, like, a noise in the barn and was like, hey, lady, go check it out. And then she checks it out and doesn't come back. So they send someone else, and they don't come back. And then someone else, like, it's such a horror movie. Like, you just go and nobody returns. Right. So that's a good point. So what I read is that it was suspected that they were lured out there one by one. There wasn't a whole lot of detail from the source material that I was reading. But, yeah, that's fucking creepy. Like, that is A-plus, like, true horror story fucking like background information there yeah and like if you're the third person you have to imagine like i know these other two people didn't come back so do i go there or not and like either way you feel unsafe and scared but like what gets you out there and what doesn't and either way it didn't save them like the maid and the baby were still killed in the house that's interesting too like you gotta ask yourself how is it that the little girl and that whole family gets killed out in the barn like at what point where they were like you know what this is too much i need to go just murder people inside the house right yeah it is one of those stories where you can definitely like rabbit hole it and spend like a whole day reading about like different theories of who did it and how they knew and that the ghost was like somebody hiding in the attic and it's really fascinating and also just as a heads up if you google this and look at images you can see crime scene photos from 1922 so yes you know they're all available and they're totally fucked up please don't look at them (laughs) yeah it's i mean they're black and white but that still isn't better they're very frightening let me ask you a question jennifer you are married if your husband was a serial killer do you think it would be more frightening for you to have always suspected something creepy about him and then when he was caught be like oh my god i never acted on that or would it be worse to like be totally blindsided Mm. maybe to have suspected it and never trusted my instincts well wouldn't you feel bad that you didn't stop him from killing other people i mean yeah that would be that would be terrible but at the same time i can suspect the shit out of anything like (laughs) i mean i'm pretty sure that my my neighbor across the the street has some sort of like side car washing business that i can't quite figure out what the rule is to get my car in the car washing rotation but you know, I can't control other people's behavior, how shit happens, and my suspicion doesn't make it truth. Jennifer, he's not a car wash, he's a drug dealer. Oh, that's also a possibility. <laughs> yeah, I think it would actually, it would be a little bit worse to never suspect, because if you suspect and don't say anything, like, that's terrible, and the guilt must be crushing, but your instincts are right. But on the other hand, if you were totally blindsided, like, how could you ever trust yourself or your impressions of someone? That's fair. I mean, they're both pretty shitty situations. They are, and that's what my story is about. My story is three people who intimately knew serial killers. Oh, my God. So when I say serial killer, who comes to mind? (laughs) 
<laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> oh, God, we were joking about Jeffrey Dahmer earlier. Dahmer, the other big one. Uh, Clown Gacy. Mine, yes. And the Pacific Northwest own Ted Bundy. Well, it's got, well okay, yeah, Ted Bundy. Um, okay, so three people who knew serial killers instantly. Ted Bundy. Um, so Ted Bundy is one of those people, uh, if you don't know who Ted Bundy is, here's a quick rundown. He was a young dude. He was kind of handsome. Zac Efron is currently shooting a movie where he is Ted Bundy. And he was very much a sociopath. He would do things like have a cast or like a broken leg and like drop a bunch of papers and ask a woman like, hey, could you help me to my car? And then when you got to the car, he would like track you in and then go and kill you. Ted Bundy is kind of like the shining when you watch The Shining, you realize that so many ghost and horror movies since then are trying to be The Shining. So many villains in movies are trying to be Ted Bundy. He was, <laughs> he was super smart. He was handsome. He escaped a bunch of times. Um, he also would, like, throw the bodies somewhere and then revisit the scene and, like, have sex with them. He's super gross. And one of the, like, biggest things about him is is that charm. And the person that I'm going to talk about who knew him really intimately is Anne Rule. Do you know her? Mm-mm. If you like true crime, Anne Rule is a true crime writer. She's dead now, so I guess she was a true crime writer. Now she's a ghost. She was originally, like, trained as a cop, and she met Ted Bundy when they were volunteering at a suicide crisis hotline. And she was his friend, like, for years. She knew him right before or right when he started killing all the way until he was executed spoiler alert he was executed um yeah just ruin that ending but it's not really about ted bundy it's about Anne rule um she actually wrote a book about this called the stranger beside me the thing that i find really chilling about this is that Anne rule had every training to spot someone being a sociopath and being a killer she had one part when he first started killing people up in seattle which is where she lived where she called a cop friend and said hey um this serial killer who abducted two women from the lake someone said his name was ted i have this friend named ted and i you know i don't think he's the killer but you know i just i just want to give you this tip and the officer called back and said oh i looked your guy up and he drives a bronze Volkswagen bug. And when they were looking for Ted Bundy, they didn't know a lot about him except that he had a yellow bug and sometimes he said his name was Ted and that he liked women with long brown hair parted in the middle. This was in the late 60s, early 70s. So of course they did. Of course they liked women with long dark hair parted in the middle. Yeah. And Anne Rule has this theory that is very much about Ted Bundy and chilling, but he had this girlfriend who looked like that and she dumped him for not being like adult enough and then he turned his life around they got back together he proposed to her and they were long distance and she accepted and she's like all right at christmas we'll like announce the engagement get back together and he like totally ghosted her and Anne rule writes about this where she's like well he's a sociopath he was just seeking revenge but all of his victims looked a lot like this girl so i don't know it's a weird theory that i think is kind of not the girlfriend's fault it's more like ted bundy was just creepy as shit but anyway so this happens really early and Anne rule eventually gets contracted to write a book about this killer and while she is writing this book about this killer and investigating it and you know hanging out with cops and stuff she's still friends with Ted Bundy and what 
manner is she still friends with Ted Bundy? Like, like she's hanging out with him, talking about the good old times when he was murdering people, and she was volunteered at uh, volunteering at the suicide crisis line. Like, what? What is this friendship? Hey, I murdered someone over the weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah, I volunteered. Um, no, like, <laughs> she didn't know that it was him. She talks about, like, oh, I used to joke, because she was a little older than him. I want to say by at least, like, 10 or 20 years. She said that she used to joke, like, oh, if only my daughters were older or I were younger, you would be the perfect man. And he would just be like, oh, ha, ha, oh, you. Um, but they would, like, go out to lunch and, like, share wine and catch up. They would, like, send each other Christmas cards. Again, it's in, like, 1975, so you send people Christmas cards back then. Um, of course. Yeah, so she, like, did not know that he was killing people, presumably. But she did know that, like, he was moving around and all this stuff. And then one of these articles that I read was kind of interesting where it was, like, you know, she's writing this book. And the book is amazing because she'll talk about like this is what the evidence says Ted Bundy was doing at the time and this is what he was doing in my life so she's like oh he killed this girl and uh left her up in the mountains and then later went up and had sex with her corpse and then at the same time we met for lunch and shared a bottle of wine and laughed about our the good old days and I didn't know that he was doing this which is really, really frightening. But she did, this one article said that, like, when did she really know? Because she published this book and ended up making a lot of money off of it. And it was this idea of, like, was there a certain point where she did know? She never, she never has that epiphany. She never has that moment where she's like, I don't believe him. Like, he, Ted Bundy was arrested for kidnapping in Salt Lake City in 1975. And when he was out on bond, Rule met up with him. Like, she, they had lunch together. She said that, like up until maybe like his second or third arrest like she thought they had the wrong person holy shit yeah and ted bundy like he escaped from colorado hey and i think in colorado there he like realized he could climb through the ceiling and so he stopped eating and like lost enough weight to climb through the ceiling and get out that way like super determined laser focus on what he wanted i think after that escape she was just like maybe it's him i don't know it's really chilling because we tend to think like, oh, this person was creepy. You should have known that he was creepy. But of all the people you should have known, she had been a cop. She was training. She was a true crime writer. Um, and she has this quote that's from 1999. She said, quote, people like Ted can fool you completely. I'd been a cop, had all that psychology, but his mask was perfect. I say that long acquaintance can help you know someone that you can never really be sure scary so that's fair yeah she had all the training she spent a lot of time with this guy and then you know she's just sitting there like hey i know you've been arrested a few times but i'm still on your side like that's a little unsettling like do you think that we just put up like those filters for people that we know i think there's to that idea like can you imagine being like hey i heard you got arrested and someone's like, yeah, it's bullshit. And they're like, okay. Like, it's awkward to suspect someone of even doing something minor, right? And are you going to push that? Like, how how do you say that? Or, like, how do you say, like, this guy has never made me feel creepy or unsafe, but he's been accused of this, like, over-the-top insane crime. Yeah, like, what what do you do? Do you just compartmentalize it? I mean, clearly. Just, yeah, you know, it's rule. If I ever become a serial killer... And I walk around in the cast and then push women into my car that happen to have long, dark hair. 
part of the middle yeah. and they get arrested, I'll tell you the truth. I really appreciate that. Can I write a book about it? <laughs> yes, of course. But you got to, like, put, like, some funds on the side for me for when I do escape prison in Colorado. I'm not going to agree to that because I feel like that is something that will get me arrested. But I will agree <laughs> to write your biography. Fine. Whatever. Okay, so Anne Rule, uh, if you are interested, uh, her book, again, is called The Stranger Beside Me. I don't know if I said that. It is really interesting. It's an interesting book about Ted Bundy. But so Anne Rule didn't know this guy her whole life. She met him uh, at a suicide hotline. But what if you do know this person your whole life? And the next person who knew a serial killer, honestly, also just to tell you right now, uh, these are like get sadder and sadder as you go. Um, oh, so, no. <laughs> sorry about that. Or maybe not. I mean, I think they get sadder. Maybe they don't. So the next one is BTK. Jennifer, do you know about the BTK killer? Yes. He um, He's a big guy because he only got caught in like early 2000s. He operated out of uh, Wichita, Kansas, which is, I don't know why I said that, Kansas, like I forgot where Wichita was. Sorry, geography. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He is also a super creepy guy, also like Bundy, kind of hiding in plain sight. He was married. He had, I think, one or two kids. He um, was a Boy Scout leader. That's what almost everybody says. Um, a churchgoer. He, like, lived in the same place for a long time. BTK was, stands for Bind, Torture, Kill, and he would, like, stalk and, like, watch these families and would, like, break in and bind, torture, kill. Um, but he would also, like, write letters to the police and taunt them. And after – I did not do a ton of research on the killers, honestly, but – After, like, killing, he wasn't caught, and the cases were unsolved for, I want to say, like, at least 10 years or something. And then in the early 2000s, early mid, when he was caught, he sent a disk drive to the police. And that was one of the ways that they caught him, because he didn't realize that the disk would include a signature of the computer, and they could trace it that way. So he was taunting the police again and being like, I'm going to kill. But another way that they caught him, and this is from this article that I read, I want to say like maybe five years ago and it stuck in my brain so much that it took me like two seconds to find it again on google um but it's about his daughter daughter of a serial killer and her name was carrie and one of the ways that he was caught was carrie was going to a state university and the police thought by the way dennis btk's real name is dennis raider which is kind of a lame name and makes him sound like a radio dj from the 1950s (laughs) So, I was going to say, like, a shitty fucking, like, low-rent Xbox 360 fucking video game. Seriously, like, Dennis Raider 323 has just signed on. <laughs> yeah, Christ, so we'll, all. we'll call him Dennis Raider from now on because that's not as cool as BTK, and he doesn't deserve Wait, to be hold cool. on. Dennis Raider 323? Isn't that what we're calling him? Dennis <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dennis Raider 323. Yeah, so when Dennis Raider 323 sent in the disk drive, his daughter was going to a state school, and she had gone to the student help center and gotten a pap smear, and they had her DNA, and because it was a state school, somehow they were able to get that DNA and test it against BTK without his permission or hers, because it was somehow considered available to do that, uh, which is horrifying for 
for a privacy violation. So, by the way, everyone who is currently in college that requires a pap smear, don't fucking do it there. Yeah, really read those things very closely. Uh, I don't know if that has changed, but yeah, make sure that you have to sign like a HIPAA disclosure or something where they have to like ask your permission to give that away because that feels just straight up. That, that's just terrifying. And if you don't understand why other people having control of your DNA is terrifying, maybe we'll do an episode about it. We are morally obligated to do an episode on that, I think. Yeah. So the cops got her DNA. They arrested him. And then this article, which is just really moving, is about her. She described it as like she minutely analyzed her whole life because they have really good records of BTK and when he struck. And it's one of those cases where there's not a lot of doubt that it's him. I don't know that he's ever fully confessed, but it's pretty, pretty for sure. And one of the things that it talks about um, in this article, she said that she like in the news stories they said that the killer obsessed about little things and she was like well that doesn't seem real and then she started thinking like she remembered how her dad quote spoke sharply if she sat in his chair or failed to put shoes away um cops said btk made strange marks in his communications she remembered weird marks dad made on newspaper stories code he called it it also says like one time around christmas btk had he's like i'm gonna kill and he like sent this thing into the police and he uh dennis raider 323 had driven carrie to the airport (laughs) and then like wandered away and then came back and she was like was he mailing something was he being btk then or was he being my dad like i just oh no yeah it's so scary like when is he being my dad and when is he being btk and then this also is a question of like which one is the mask yeah i mean obviously the human skin is always the mask but like that's really fucking sad it's super sad and one of the things that's mind-blowing well there are two things one there's this one time where dennis Rider 323 was camping with a boy <laughs> scout troop and left to like go buy hot dogs or i don't know i don't know i've never been a boy scout i quit girl scouts because we didn't go camping and my dad was like hey eight-year-old here's a knife and i was like See you later, Girl Scouts. I can carve my own stick. So, I don't know. He was, like, camping with a troop and, like, left in the middle of the night for some reason. And they later connected that to one of the killings. So, they were like, oh, he went on this camping trip, like, purposely to build in an alibi. I mean, how many, like, little boys are, like, fucked up over that now? Seriously. Or, like, again, this goes back to my initial question. What if Dennis Raider 323, Call of Duty high score guy, was your Boy Scout leader and you were like I learned so much from him and then you find I out mean, that he murdered people and you're just like oh no you're like I remember that one time that kid was bullying me and he was like hey stop and I was like you're my bro yeah it's upsetting um, and then the other thing that's kind of weird when he never confessed they don't have a good count. They know, like, confirmed this guy, like, this was definitely Ted Bundy Hill, but there are some missing things. There are, like, bodies they've never found. He was, like, slippery to the end, like, claiming that he found Christianity and had been converted. Like, total manipulation trying to get out on parole. He was executed. Yep. Dennis Rader is still alive and in jail. And his daughter says that, like, she tries, she's religious, she tries to forgive him, but she, like, just can't and she's like i can't i can't do this and uh dennis raider 323 laser tag champion of the prison (laughs) said in this article quote i he couldn't understand why no family visited as he told pastor clark 
he had been a good man who just did bad things. I mean, that's reasonable, you know, because he just went around robbing convenience stores because he couldn't make ends meet. Never killed anybody. Just robbed the convenience stores. Honest to God. Oh, wait, no. Wait, who are we talking about again? <laughs> oh, no. I Listen, I'm a great family man. I'm a Christian, you know, God-fearing Boy Scout leader. I just occasionally stalk, terrorize, and murder whole families. What's the no big deal? deal. No big deal. Yeah. So that shows, like, a level of delusion that's really... <laughs> it's unnerving. Yeah. It's upsetting. But I, I will want to end on one. The very end of my story, we're going to come back to Dennis Rader 323 uh, Laura Croft fan. He's so, he's so bad at being Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... What a that was that is such an amazing insult because one you probably don't want to be Ted Bundy but two you're even being bad at being Ted Bundy ugh gross what a scrub <laughs> oh shit okay <laughs> sorry I'm so bad at being Ted Bundy <laughs> of the three I said that they get sadder as they go but you could also say that each of these killers gets less charming as they go too fair enough yeah so. This next one is the one that is, like, the most heartbreaking to me for some reason because Raider and Bundy both were, like, hiding out on purpose, and this guy was not necessarily doing that. And in some ways, he's a little bit more sympathetic, but he's also more monstrous. Also, this one I remember firsthand, and this is Ted Kaczynski and... His brother, David. Awesome. Yes, let's do this one. So Ted Kaczynski was known as the Unabomber. Let me just first say, I think we might have alluded to the fact that I am a teacher in college. I am an English teacher. Ted Kaczynski was a math teacher. I'm not going to say that this just proves that English is better than math. I'm just going to leave those facts out there. (laughs) (laughs) But just to point out, we were both English teachers at some point. True story. Neither one of us have murdered or bombed people. No, not even accidentally. (laughs) Not even accidentally. We do try (laughs) to eat our animals, but those are not real threats. So far, zero household pets have been eaten by either of us. So the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, UC Berkeley math teacher, they also think that he was schizophrenic. I don't know how legit that is. I saw it being downplayed a lot, which is understandable. But he eventually, like, kind of had this moment where he was like, I don't like the way society is going. I'm going to go live in a cabin in the woods in Montana. And nobody ever disputes this. He was really intelligent. And he really strongly believed in, like, individual liberties and and the wilderness. And you know what? Hey, cool. Like, this is why he's sort of very monstrous and then also very, like, sympathetic at the same time. We're like, oh, yeah, people should be, like, very free. Cool. But then also you're like, and so then you send pipe bombs to people's houses, like just random people. Not cool. And he would do things like when he sent bombs to people, he would put like false clues in them and stuff um, and send them to like teachers and like researchers and just he would like leave boxes in the parking lot. Super weird. Anyway, um, he ended up killing three people, injuring 23 others. And then this was between 1978 and 1995, so over a really long time. And I know I'm taking a while to get to his brother, David, but I do want to share one little tidbit that has almost nothing to do with anything, but I just find it 
so fascinating. So in 1980, they did a profile of who they thought this bomber was, and they described the offender as a man with above average intelligence, connections to academia, and then they added that he was a neo-Luddite, so he didn't like technology, holding an academic degree in the hard sciences. This was 100% true. And then later, they threw this out, and they were like, you're wrong, FBI. We're the new FBI, and we think that he's a blue-collar airplane mechanic, which is totally wrong. I don't know how to feel about that, except that all knowledge is shifting all the time, and there's no comfort in anything. You know, I am constantly impressed. I mean, put aside the FBI agents that, like, boo-booed this shit up, but, like, I'm constantly impressed with, like, how on point FBI profiling can be. Like, yeah, disturbingly close, like, to the point where it's like, if I ever meet an FBI agent, will they know my secret desire to eat tacos like all the time do i need to be concerned right like they'll be like this killer is 30 to 33 um recently fired dark hair and feels weird about their feet and then they arrest someone and they're like oh all of these things are true and the dna matches some of the broad demographics i can understand but yeah like you said some of the like she loves tacos i'm just like how the fuck do they know where is the evidence of that crime scene sir it's insane anyway okay so sometimes the profiling was on sometimes it wasn't and then in 1995 maybe i think um so he had been active for 17 years they had a very famous sketch of him and he's wearing like a hoodie and aviator glasses and has a little mustache 100 percent, you've seen this image um, yep. And then I think in, like, 1995, he wrote a really long manifesto, and it was all about, like, things are going awry with society, and he said – he sent it to newspapers and was like, publish this, or I will bomb a bunch of people. And so they did because they were like, well, we don't want him to bomb a bunch of people. And two of the people who read this were Ted Kaczynski's brother, David, and David's wife, Linda. This is where I think this gets sad is that the Kaczynskis, by all accounts, had a really good childhood. They came from a loving family. Ted Kaczynski and David Kaczynski's mother was still alive at the time, and they cared about him, but they also were like, if he wants to go live in the woods, like, we respect his choice. But so also, like, just realized they're both named Ted. So don't name your children Ted. Yeah, just don't do that. Don't do that. One of my grandpas was named Ted, and he was kind of an asshole, too. So Ted... Cross it off the list. Apologies to any Ted's. We still we still like you, Ted. You're still cool, Ted of the world. You just might be a little bit shady. Yeah. Also we're gonna throw you in the lake for Ted Party Day, which is a Parks and Rex reference. Anyway, so David Kaczynski looked up to his older brother, all this stuff, and when they published Ted's manifesto, his wife and him were talking, and they were like, this sounds kind of like Ted. Like, he's not treating his mental illness. He goes on these rants. He has these strong beliefs. This sounds like him. His wife, Linda, had this quote. She said, I thought about the families that were bombed. There was one in which the package arrived to the man's home, and his little two-year-old daughter was there. She was almost in the room when he opened that package. Luckily, she left, and his wife left, and then he died, and there were others. And so I spent those days thinking about those people. 
And so after all this thinking, they ended up calling in an FBI hotline and were like, you have to look at my brother. And that's the only reason why they caught Ted Kaczynski. Jesus. I There's just something so heartbreaking about being like, your brother turned you in. I mean, can we just, like, take a second and point out, like, what an up- upstanding, like, kind of person his brother is and how much empathy he demonstrated? Seriously, to say, like, hey, I, I love my brother and, like, he uh, like David didn't give interviews for a time but when he did he never came out and was like fuck him he was just like this is wrong you're right like we need to respect the victims and like to say that like I love my brother but he deserves to be in jail like oh my that's big. gosh yeah that's big yeah it makes you feel like good about people as a thing that's alive on earth but then also sad for individuals yeah I mean like that's not easy for anyone to do like I mean you know me I'll talk shit about anyone that wrongs anyone I know. <laughs> but all these police motherfuckers coming after you, let's talk about all this shit about them. But, like, in reality, like, he did something that is incredibly hard and incredibly brave. He stopped, like, basically would have been continuing amounts of tragedy. Yeah, I mean, domestic terrorism. And then on top of, like, layered on top of that is, one, he was schizophrenic and isolated and not, not taking his meds. And his ideas of like protecting the wilderness and you know letting people live their lives unfettered weren't necessarily wrong like that's what's upsetting is that you know Ted Kaczynski isn't out there being Ted Bundy or being Dennis Rader 323 (laughs) it's just so many more layers of like oh shit it's complicated you know yeah you're right he's an interesting and complicated murderer but not only was he but he still is Ted Kaczynski is still alive not dead yet two nuggets about the Kaczynski boys. One, Ted in prison became friends with Timothy McVeigh, who also was a bomber. Yeah, they were in the same prison somehow. Timothy McVeigh was executed, but because David called in the hotline, he sort of, not on purpose, got a $1 million reward. Like, you know, when you see those rewards that are like, you know, money, if you help us catch this guy. He got this check. And so this is also like this is David. This guy is awesome. He said, upon receiving the check, he decided to give it away to the Unabomber's victim. And not only was he like, I'm going to give this million dollars away to you. He spent a week asking for a tax exemption so that he could give more money away. Okay, is he not, like, most great, morally strong person that exists in the world? Like, Jesus. I I love this story. One, because I remember when he got caught, and I remember that image, and, like, I was really young, so, like, Timothy McVeigh and the Unabomber are, like, squished together in my brain, and I just remember it being very scary. But then you see someone like David, and David Kaczynski is like, yeah, don't look away from the scariness. He even talks about meeting victims of the people who were killed by his brother. I can't even imagine that. That's really, really intense. Well, and they probably directed, like, a lot of their anger and hurt towards him. And he probably took that with all the stride that he had already displayed throughout this entire fucking ordeal. Yeah, and the this is a really interesting thing. He did write a book about it. I have not read that book. It's called Every Last Tie. But I love that story of him donating the money. It's 
when scary things happen, you don't look away, but you also don't despair. Look, I'm adding that book to my wish list right now on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, I told you that I would tell you an uplifting end to the Dennis Raider 323 go-kart champion story. Yes. Do you remember? Yes. Okay. Are yes. you ready? This is the best I'm thing ready. ever. So, Dennis Raider 323 has been caught. The house that he lived in with his family when he was being a family man slash horrible killer was up for sale and a local I believe sex worker bought it and then demolished it (laughs) yes she's like this is not going to become a tourist attraction you know we're not going to make some poor family live in there anymore it's just a piece of grass fuck all that shit let's move on it is amazing I love it well you know this also calls into question our morbid curiosity listen we don't go to our places that people are murdered we just go to ghost stories Except that one time on that one tour where we were forced to stand where somebody decided to kill themselves because, you know, they were going through some stuff. I feel like that might even be a podcast episode of its own of, like, why are we interested in these things? And, like, are we, like, bearing witness or are we just being ghoulish? I mean, I will say that I'm kind of a ghoulish person. What do you mean by ghoulish? Like, just delighting in gross things and sad things for the sake of being sad and gross. Fair enough. Fair enough. So do you think that is where your interest in paranormal hauntings and murder stories and other things that are creepy and strange in this world come from? Um, I mean, it kind of makes me feel like I need to talk to my therapist. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we have so many more things to talk about. Um, no, uh, I honestly, I think a lot of it for me is like the mystery of it. Like, why did Ted Kaczynski become Ted Kaczynski or, or why did Anne Rule not be able to see that her friend was who he was? And I, I don't mean that in a blaming way. I just mean like humans are such complex creatures and we invent so many ways to protect ourselves and that's so mysterious like I I just don't understand those relationships or those actions and not being able to understand it and also knowing that like I could never understand someone like Ted Bundy like no matter how academically I mean I could study Ted Bundy for the rest of my life and I would still not understand it that is so fascinating to me that's fair and you know that makes a lot of sense yeah where does your interest come from oh I mean you know my story and for me it's a way to Maybe connect with some of that sense of humanity I lost in that whole process of growing up. Like, it's to remind myself, like, it didn't matter how, how bad things got sometimes, and it didn't, it doesn't matter, like, how hard it is sometimes to still talk about those things. In the bigger sense of the world, I'm not alone in suffering. I'm not alone in being, like, accosted by things that, like, a normal, person just doesn't know how to deal with immediately and it's nice and it gives me a sense of I don't know it makes me feel connected a little bit more but also like I, you kind of touched on something else there that I think speaks to me which is like you know I can never understand bad people that do bad things and the more and more I learn about bad people who do bad things it's harder for me to make the call about what a bad person actually is. And of course I like a good I like a good mystery. Yeah. 
Well, and I think you're right. That idea that there are so many things that we're afraid of and it's important not to turn away or or if people have survived this fire that we, we're afraid of them. It's important to bear witness and it's important to say, like, this is a real thing that happened to you, but maybe it's not a defining thing. Like, you can be David Kaczynski. You know, you can be Carrie Rader who talks about, like, I'm trying to forgive, but also fuck my dad. Like, it's just uh, the human fucking condition, man. What a drag. It's complicated and messy and it's also very human. <laughs> to be repetitive but that's exactly what it is it is i mean listen when are we just gonna wake up and be cats <laughs> i am waiting for that day so i think we kind of covered some of the deeper lessons we learned today but what did you learn emily um oh my gosh so many things one that i learned is that if you have people that are leaving the house and not coming back do not follow them because they're going to be killed by something that's like an act that is not an act and i was going to say i learned that word but i can't think of it right now so i learned an incomplete vocabulary <laughs> hashtag incomplete vocabulary lesson <laughs> hashtag incomplete vocabulary lesson Listen, the first step to learning is learning what not, you don't know. Not knowing something. <laughs> Ignorance is the first step on a path to knowledge. Quote from the Buddha. No. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Jennifer, what did you learn today? <laughs> I learned that, first off, David is a fucking great human being. I He's still alive. I think we should buy his book. He is great. He is great. And... And two, I learned that it doesn't matter who you are, danger can be your best friend. Yeah, exactly. And unless you are Dennis Rader 323, it's also not your fault. Like, Anne Rule had every element of training, and she still didn't suspect Ted Bundy. Also, yes, serial killer names make the worst Xbox 360 Live names. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also, here's a final lesson for you, me, and everyone out there. Don't name your sons or daughters Ted. Yes, don't do that. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's a family legacy. Just pick a different name. No, Ooh, Ted. George. George is a classic. Edward? I mean, that's uh, a little bit too Twilight right now. All Things Terror is research recorded and edited by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. We are available on Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast or email at All Things Terror at Gmail. Music sample by Cosimo Fogg. Links, references, and more info available at allthingsterror.wordpress.com. People, the word was Matic. Hashtag, who's incomplete now? See you next time.